That's not the sound they expected to hear after the opening of the can, is it? Probably not. Do you want me to pour that? Yeah. You're like holding the glass awkwardly up to the <laughs> thing like, how do I get the beer out of the can? Like, used to, bottles are a little easier to pour than cans. A little bit. But that's okay, because every now and then something special comes out of a can, and we got something very special today. Is a Golden City Brewery, which is our buddies just down the road here in Colorado. Uh, did a special release this month is Stout Month over at the brewery, and so what a beautiful month. Yeah, right. It's like it's why the, isn't every month that month? Like the only good thing about February. Yeah. Um, so this is Diving Bell Russian Imperial Stout, and they made 24 cans of this, and we're going to drink one. So, cheers. Mmm. Mmm. Hmm. Holy fuck, that's good. That's a good, that is a good stout. Yeah. I'm glad I went with that first, because I feel like I'm going to be disappointed when I drink something stupid. But on the other hand, when I drink something stupid, I can, you know, be like... Oh, well, at least I have this amazing stout to yeah. go with. So, uh, welcome to Drink to the Past, the only show where we drink before we introduce ourselves. I've, I feel like I've said that more than one episode now. We're we're inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get with these episodes. Sometimes we'll do things just completely out of order. Yeah, sometimes we'll actually introduce ourselves first, like, you know, a professional podcast, instead of... Two guys who like talking about shit and think you might like listening to us talk about shit. Yeah, if you like listening to us talk about shit, why? <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. Yeah, put a comment. I've never got a comment on Podbean, and I'm not really sure what to do with it. You can also maybe comment on iTunes. I really have no idea if you can or not. I, but I we're on iTunes now, so look us up on iTunes. I don't think you can. Uh... Yeah, I have no idea. Or you can just tweet at me, which would be far more effective because I actually look at my Twitter instead of my Podbean comments, which I'm not sure if I get notified because, like I said, nobody's ever commented on an episode on Podbean. I've never also commented on a podcast episode on Podbean. Like, I listen to all my podcasts on the Podbean app, too. I mean, how often do you, like, comment on a thing outside of Twitter? I mean... Literally, if I do, I usually tweet about it. Okay. Like, even on YouTube, like, I don't comment much on videos. Every now and then, I'll comment on a video. But most of the time, if I want to talk about it further, then I'll be like, I'll share the video and be like, hey, check out this YouTube guy that I follow. And uh, this is what I think about whatever topic they're talking about. Because that also gives, like, the other content creator an additional little boost to them because then whoever you know whatever few followers are in my twitter sphere are like hey look a new music video from some guy yeah anyways uh sean drinks something st uh, i'm sean michael patrick thompson i forgot to say that and this is chris that doesn't know what to do with himself all that chris didn't get interrupted by sean with a different dumb middle name that's not his real middle name Audet. yeah I don't I, know I've I done that the last couple of weeks, and you've had, like, something maybe planned, or maybe you were just bullshitting, I, and then suddenly I interjected, and it was like... Once I <laughs> planned, and it got interrupted, and I forgot what my plan was, so I went with something completely different. There you go. I'll drink to that. Anyways, um, I'm having a Blue Hawaiian, which was mixed professionally in a um, Tupperware, which was the uh, rattling sound that you heard at the start of the podcast. Um... C 
because I don't have a cocktail shaker, and these most of these cocktail bottles that I've been doing on the podcast lately have, like, they say put it in a shaker with ice and rum and mix or, or whatever it is, and I've been, like, putting it in a glass and stirring it with a spoon, so I'm like, yeah, I might as well shake one of them, right? Even though I don't have a cocktail shaker. So I'm also drinking out of a Tupperware because I don't want to do more dishes. So You know what they like better than comments? $100 bills. Yeah, you could put that in a Patreon if we set one up. Yeah, which we're probably not going to do. Probably. I mean, that involves like different kinds of tax calculations and shit. Probably. Probably not worth it. Like if we get to be a big podcast, then maybe. Yeah. That'd be fun. Get us to be a big podcast by sharing and subscribing. Hashtag shameless plug. But it's my podcast. I can plug my own podcast on the, my own podcast. You're plugging the podcast on on the podcast. Yeah. It's a little exception. It's a lot. Of pe- I'm gonna drink this blue Hawaiian now. Mm-hmm. It's coconutty. It's kind of interesting. Um, I, I have no idea what is actually in these bottles because none of them have ingredient lists. It's just like mix this with a bottle of rum and you got a cocktail. Not a bo- not a whole bottle. Glycerine, like a shot. Isopropyl alcohol, dimethyltryptamine, salvia divorium. And uh, methamphetamine while we're at it? Yeah, just just some methamphetamine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where the coconutty flavor comes in. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's pretty good. You get real, like, not paying attention to it drunk on this. Because it's like real sweet, coconutty, pretty simple flavors. I don't really taste the rum in there that much between whatever else is in here. The coconut is really strong. Uh, I'm not sure why it's blue. Why is coconut stuff always blue? I don't know. Maybe they don't want to make it white. Because white would be a weird color to make a drink. I don't know. Like, milk is white. It's like milk is white, but if you just had, like, white... Coconut milk is white. Yeah. If you just had, like, white powdery stuff in there, Mm -hmm. your booze, you'd think it was sake. Hmm. Sake is good. Right, but then you drink it, and you'd be like, this isn't sake. It tastes like coconut shit. Yeah. And also, I put rum in it, so it's probably not sake. But I guess it's blue for some reason. But, like, it's it's not just the blue Hawaiian. It's like, I feel like every coconut drink in the world is blue. Why is that? Why is blue associated so heavily with coconut? No one knows what to make their blue flavors. Blueberry? Blue raspberry? Right. You ever seen a blue raspberry? Mm, I mean, I've seen, like, black raspberries. Yeah. I think those are just blackberries. Yeah. They're not actually raspberries. Right. But they look like raspberries, and they taste reminiscent of raspberries. I've seen a lemon. That's white. It's white-ish. It's actually yellow. I have so little (laughs) idea what the fuck our conversation is doing right now that I feel like I have to drink. And I also realized I got involved in a conversation about color with you. The colorblind guy? Yeah. (laughs) Or at least part colorblind. Anyways, um, news and booze. We've already got our booze. Uh, We could rate that while we're at it. What do you rate that stout? I think it's fucking good. I'm going to give it a a rating in a little bit after I finish this Blue Hawaiian. Because I had a brief taste. I'm really digging it. But I want to kind of 
go further into that after I cleanse my palate after this sweet-ass stuff. <laughs> like, that's the thing I forgot about Imperial Stouts is they're kind of a kick in the testicles. A little bit. I like them. Yeah. It's got... Yeah, because they're a lot more balanced than just a regular old stout, because a regular old stout is pretty much malt forward, that's all you need. Yeah. And admittedly, I like that. But with an Imperial Stout, you get a much heavier pile of hops in there, uh, which kind of balances it out, and then they often do other kinds of flavors in there. You know, I'd um, give it a 16. All right. That's a good fucking I think that's beer. a good beer. Yeah. Uh, right when I opened this thing, I was, like, feeling a 16 or a 17 just because it's fucking Golden City Brewery. I fucking love them. They're great. Go to Golden City Brewery if you live in Colorado. And if you don't live in Colorado, then, like, make a road trip out here and you can be on the podcast. I almost wish Peyton was here to to share this drink with <clears throat> us so that he could recoil in disgust. Yeah, that poor guy. He'd like this blue Hawaiian, though, yeah. if he likes coconut. I, I don't know if he likes coconut. That would be the... That's the divisive thing. Although, usually, it's a texture thing, and if it's in a drink, you don't get the texture. But really, this does not taste like alcohol at all. Like, coconut tastes fine, and then... You got one of those super sugary drinks so mm-hmm. that you get drunk on it without ever knowing you're drinking alcohol. It's pretty good. I'm going to give this a 13. Yeah, that seems is, fair. I think that's the best out of these little bottles that I've had. Because most of them are just like, ooh, sugar. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? It's okay. Got a you little know more going on. I get, even as someone who understands people who don't like like certain foods based off of texture, mm-hmm. I don't get what the problem with coconut is. Oh. Coconut's got like a good texture, right? Like I like coconut. Yeah. And although I like like fuck everything. Like the only weird texture that I've ever had that I legitimately just didn't like the texture is mango. Huh. But mango is fucking delicious in drinks. Yeah. Mangoes are pretty tasty. Yeah, they're really tasty, but the texture is is kind of weird. Although, I'm also a person who really digs when beer has texture. Because if you can make, like, a textural thing happen in your mouth without, like, actually being a solid object, that's impressive. Yeah, but that's kind of... I feel like that's what some of the really thick, dark beers are for, even. Yeah. Is there much mouthfeel on that? I only took a little sip, so I didn't get much mouthfeel. There's not too much of a mouthfeel on it, okay. I wouldn't say. Yeah, doesn't have much of a imperial head. stout. Some, yeah, I noticed that. It like when I poured it, it barely had any. No, like there was no, like it's been sitting here for like just as long as we've been talking, which isn't very long, and there the head is gone, on both of our beers. So yeah, but that's that's a little uncharacteristic, but uh, could be something in the canning process too, because um, I noticed that. Uh, beers that are canned especially at like microbreweries that don't have huge canning lines uh, are affected differently than other kind of beers even canned beers by larger distributors Um, especially with like crowlers is a big thing because crowlers are supposed to last a lot longer than a growler but I find that uh, I've literally like gone in had a pint of a beer taken a crowler home opened it two or three days later and it's it's almost a different beer because it I don't know what exactly it is if it ages differently in the can something than the in the canning process makes it I mean that's why they yeah. have those nitro packs and 
uh, Guinness, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways. Could be totally different if this thing was ever on tap, but it wasn't. It's only available in cans. And it's probably all sold out now. Because I got can number 11 of 24, and that was a week ago. Holy fuck. So... That is a super limited run. Yeah. It even says limited run on there. It does. Yeah, it's got this whole little uh, thing. I thought this was hilarious. It's, you strive for unique new experiences with every beer you purchase. Short of a couple staples, you rarely buy the same dark drink twice. And it's like pretty much exactly describing me. <laughs> it goes on blah 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 uh, It's exactly what you were looking for. Or it just sounded good. I wouldn't say it's my One favorite stout ever. Mm-hmm. Uh I'd definitely say it ranks up there. Yeah. And this and I think Stout's probably the kind of beer I've had the most mm-hmm. of. Cool. So uh, let's go into the gaming news and such. Um, Imran Khan is the former senior editor at... Uh, a former senior editor at Game Informer. Claims that Disney of Japan shot down Nintendo's request to use Sora from Kingdom Hearts as a character in Super Smash Brothers. Stupid if true. <clears throat> on Disney's part? On Di- I'm like... Di- I mean, Disney makes plenty of money, but what's wrong with saying... What's wrong with saying yes to just a little bit more money? Yeah. Right? Like, more money is good, right? Yeah. So, seems kind of weird. And Sora is one of those fan-favorite characters that a lot of people are clamoring for. I'm not a big Kingdom Hearts fan, but... So, like, it's like I, if I Sora care. came, I'd probably be like, okay, I'll try it because it's in Smash and I have to try them all once. Yeah. It's Except for fucking Duck Hunt. It's a problem with Duck Hunt. Literally, since I've been a kid, I've just wanted to beat the living shit out of him. And now I can, so I'm perfectly happy that he's in the, char- in the, in the game. But I never want to play with him. I see. I just always want to be against him and beat the fuck out of him. Because, I mean, he's a dick. Because he laughs hates at you when you miss the duck. Yeah. Did you know you could press the light gun up against a light bulb, and uh, when you fired it, you'd shoot a duck every time? Huh. Fancy. Now you know. The more you know, the more you grow. Knowing is half the battle. G.I. We don't want to get sued. I mean, they're probably not going to sue us, so... Joe! <laughs> if we get sued by... Uh, Whoever owns the rights to GI Hasbro, Joe. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Some toy company. So probably Hasbro or somebody of the like. I don't know. We have more danger of getting sued for them for talking about D&D all weird. Which right. is not yeah. very likely. Don't sue us anybody, please. Like, call me up, I'll buy you a beer. You have no legal standing. And also, we probably can't afford it. Yeah. Like, you'll get everything I own, and that'll be a limited run copy of Blasphemous. That's it. That's the only thing I own. Yeah. We're somehow recording this podcast mic without a mic. We're recording this podcast in an alleyway? Yeah. I actually have a bunch of repo men we just had waiting to in the wings. Fight of off hobos like before we got here. You should have brought your taser. Oh right, you don't have one. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyways, um another interesting little tidbit here. Um Poppin' Twinbee and Smash Tennis are coming to Nintendo Switch Online in the Super Nintendo library, which is their first U.S. release. Apparently, Twinbee is a fairly big series. I've never actually heard of... I've heard of Smash Tennis, but never played it because it never was released where I live, 
And I've never heard of popping Twin B or the Twin B. I wonder series. how Snake Swing is a tennis racket. But I think it's kind of interesting that they're bringing over games that never got localized. Uh, or or uh, I think actually both of these games were localized for English and brought to Europe or something. Sorry, you said Smash Tennis, and all I was thinking was like Mario Tennis, but with all the Smash Bros. characters. That would probably be better. Would you play that? Um, only if it was better than actual Mario Tennis. I'd Aces, probably play it. Least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I played the demo of Mario Tennis Aces, and I really, really hated it. Super clunky, like I'm pushing the button and it's not responsive sometimes for no conceivable reason. It was, it was bad. Like wow. for no reason, bad. And I was just like, okay, not doing this. Because it, it, it seemed like it might be a fun little party game to go on board with. Because I remember liking Mario Tennis on Game Boy Color and N64 long ass time ago. So I'm not sure where they went wrong with it this time, which is also odd because like I feel like most people actually like this game that have played it, but I just had zero good experience with it. The mechanics are like, eh. It's like the kind of ex things you expect from a Mario sports game, little weird over-the-top things, but all of them were harder to control than necessary, and even the basic controls just sometimes did not work. That's... Which is fucking stupid. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. And so. dumb. <clears throat> yeah, so. Would not recommend. But, you know, a lot of other people would, so what the fuck do I know? Um, <clears throat> recently, a prototype Nintendo PlayStation just went up for auction. That's kind of interesting. A Nintendo PlayStation? Yeah. Uh, so, back in the day, before the PlayStation was actually made... Uh, the Nintendo and Sony were getting together and they were going to make the PlayStation. It was going oh. to be a Nintendo-branded, CD-driven console. And then at the last minute, Nintendo pulled out and teamed up with Philips to make the CDI instead. And then they pulled out of the deal with Philips, but Philips retained the right to create the CDI games. Yeah, Jeez, so Nintendo, Nintendo really fucked up everything they possibly could at that time. So, but Sony got basically big into the gaming market for it. And, and this is hey, also the yeah. reason Secret of Mana was uh, less than it could have been, was because they were intending to put it on a disc, and then at the last moment they were told, nope, you got to put it on a cartridge. Yeah. So that's why Square Enix didn't come to the N64 for... Yeah, because then they were like, okay, so I guess we're just... Final Fantasy VII can't fit on there. Sorry, guys. Uh... Might as well develop exclusively for Sony and get extra bank. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, so anyways, that uh, that's an interesting piece of gaming history there. Um, I think it's also interesting because it, just based on the current bid, is going to be the highest priced video game related sale ever. Beating a $100,000 prototype Super Mario Brothers cartridge. Holy shit. So if you're interested in buying some retardedly expensive prototype system, you can look up Heritage Auctions. It is lot number 93060, and yeah. the current bid is $350,000. If any of our listeners are billionaires, will you know what you could spend your money on? Yeah. You could, you know, advertise our podcast. Yeah. Or buy a badass 
piece of gaming history. To be honest, if I was a billionaire, I, I would do the second. I would do the second thing. <laughs> I would not advertise some, some guy's podcast. Would you advertise our podcast? Hell yeah. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I also put real ice in this for the first time in a while. I don't usually use real ice. I use my whiskey stones. But I was like, I don't want to clean them later. Because they all, they all get like sticky. Then you got to clean them off. And I was like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to use ice. So That's why they're good for whiskey and not... But now I keep getting ice in my face because it's like melted. And like with whiskey stones, they're just big enough that you can just, you know, block them out with your face. But when they melt down tiny enough, it's like, ah, back of the throat. That ice punched me. What a dick. You know, one of these days I should probably bring, like, tabletop news or something. Add that to the thing. That'd be cool. I look for tabletop news, but I don't see it very much. I, so. I could probably start adding stuff like that. Yeah, so anytime we'll, you feel like. I'll interleave that with the video game news. Yeah, that'd be cool. And the last piece of gaming news is um, Bloomberg is reporting that Sony is struggling to get manufacturing cost of the PlayStation 5 under $450 per unit. So the potentially the retail price could be steep and the internet is being stupid about it, like usual. Uh, so obviously uh, being at $450 to manufacture, it would probably be more than that at retail uh, unless they're going to sell at a loss and hope they can make the difference up with game sales and stuff like that. I hope this isn't a repeat of the PS... Uh the PS3. Right, yeah. I don't think it's going to retail at $699. Uh, $699. Yeah. I But, uh, so, based on manufacturing costs and relative data from the PS4's launch, um, I th believe Bloomberg went on to say uh, if they retail it at $475, I think, it would be making roughly the same profit margin per console uh, based on a relative percent. Uh, so that's, you know, I I was expecting it to be 500 bucks anyways. Uh, both that and the new Xbox, I was expecting ballpark right around that area. Uh, I don't know why specifically, but it seems like new hardware that's way fucking better than what the current hardware is. Like, it's probably going to be more expensive, right? Yeah. Doesn't that just seem to stand a reason? But the internet is like, ah, oh, it's they're going to have to sell at a loss. Just Sony is going to go bankrupt, or they're going to sell it at no units because it's too expensive at five hundred bucks. And I'm like, it's a brand new console that can do crazy shit that no console has ever been done before. I think five hundred is a fairly realistic expectation and with inflation like i feel like that's still probably less than the ps3 starting at 700 i'm just thinking hold on let me let me let me finish up that thought you know it would cost like 20 dollars in 1913 <laughs> Come here, get your brand new PlayStation 5. It's yeah. the bee's knees. Yeah, one, $1.1913 is about the equivalent of $26 today. Mm. Yeah, 
So just think about that. Yeah. Those poor guys in 1913 had to save up like $100 to buy a video game and a console to play it on and four extra controllers. <laughs> and pizza. Yeah. <laughs> pizza cost a whole nickel. Be like, pizza cost. <laughs> this was back when money had silver in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the news and booze. So, uh, almost done with your booze there. Almost. A little extra in the can if you want it. Because uh, it's uh, slightly larger than whatever these two glasses are capacity-wise. I'm, I'm not actually sure what these are. Because uh, they these were little taster glasses that are they're like mini pint glass size. So, I guess they're probably 6 ounce or 8 ounce to be... If it's 8 ounce, it'd be a half pint. But I, I'm not sure. It's got a little 1 ounce line. Uh... It's got a little one ounce line, but I guess it's closer to six or seven ounces. Yeah, I mean, obviously, total, I think it's probably... I would guess six or eight, because six would be half of a 12 ounce, which is the other standard unit of measuring. But I, I don't know. It could also just be that this is a random size that they happened to be given by whatever manufacturer they used to make all these beer fest glasses. I have no clue. Are these glass? Yes. So these aren't the ones that you take around the beer fest and drop on the ground and have everybody start clapping. Uh, well, everybody goes, oh, when, it's hilarious because yeah. it, like, it, it echoes through the entire building. And like you can tell when somebody actually uh, this year they went back to doing all glass. So these were the ones that literally everybody had. And I think partially for that reason, there was a lot less. Oh, but they were all a lot more epic. Just you hear something chatter on the ground. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pretty sad when I, that happens. I gotta say, I've been to Denver Pop Culture Con, and I've mm. been to Denver Beer Fest. And I think I prefer Beer Fest. There is more beer there. Yeah. Mm. And you can go to every stall and get something from it. Yeah. Instead of like, hi... I'm a comic artist you've never heard of. 50 bucks a comic. Be like, okay, well, uh, I'll pay you that, and uh, I can't get really get anything else. <laughs> Oops, I bought the first comic I saw. Now what do I do? <laughs> Read Waited in line to meet Patrick Warburton for two and a half hours, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> I didn't wait in... In line for two and a half hours to meet Patrick Warburton. Oh, so, some uh, some friends I was with did. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time to meet Patrick Warburton. Like yeah. I'd like to meet Patrick Warburton. He seems like he'd probably be an interesting guy. Apparently, with apparently the... he's a pretty nice guy. I would bet. Yeah. And and I feel like he'd probably be an interesting sort of person to be in that light. I feel like voice actors are just the kind of people I want to meet most of the time, anyways. Yeah. Uh, and that's largely what he does. He's been in a handful of feature films. He was... Uh, what did I see him in then? Uh, was it called Tag? It might have been. Everyone was, Loves Raymond? <coughs> a feature film? There was a feature film of I, Everybody Loves I don't Raymond. think there was. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like this. Uh, these four guys that are like... Have been playing the same game of Tag for like 40 years or some bullshit. It's like... The stupidest premise ever, but it was actually pretty fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, check out that. I'd add Patrick Warburton 
as well as some other guys that I don't remember what their names were, but they were in other stuff. Uh, yeah. Patrick Warburton and three other guys, at least. Yeah. I assume. Yep. Yeah. That, w- that was the story. Now, okay. Anyways, um... I'm gonna eat some of this ice. Or just suck on it. Suck on my ice. How did that for, um... Audio, uh... Arousal. Ah, still better than the last time. What did I do last time that wasn't audio arousaling? Last time I was sitting in a Discord call and hearing myself twice. Oh, yeah. Because it always echoes awkwardly because I have a redneck setup. Yeah. <laughs> the redneck Anyways. Yes, setup. Cool. So let's move on to our table topic, which is first this week because I didn't edit the document last time and oh, left shit. it in that order. But, you know, every now and then we can do the table topic first. Who cares? So, could a system be made? That equally integrates roleplay and combat. Possibly doing roleplay in turn order or using roleplay as a part of combat. I want to say my immediate answer is a very smart-ass answer. Good. And it's, yes, every system ever. (laughs) It's roleplay should be a thing that can happen in every system at any time, regardless mm-hmm. of what's going on in the game. Right. Well, I but think to an extent it is, but I'm wondering more exclusively if you could make a rules system that rewards roleplay and actually uses roleplay as a core mechanic. Because I feel like so often there's like this separation between roleplay and mechanical gameplay. I think it was... a. Uh... So it depends on what you mean by roleplay, I guess. And it's if you want to reward roleplay, there's not... The the thing about it is one of those things is like something I would call pretty much spontaneous. Mm -hmm. It's up and not something you can systemize around. It's one of the strengths that... It's like both a strength and a weakness of tabletop gaming. Right. Uh, also I think in theory if this sort of system was able to be created I think it would be helpful to some kinds of players because some kinds of players are more inclined toward role play or the mechanics uh, and doing the other one is like it's more difficult for them so theoretically if you could strike a balance or make a uh because I feel like there's generally an attempt to strike balance in most tabletop systems, but in still I feel like most of them are fairly like, oh, we're in combat, we're just following the rules now and going mechanically through the steps. Have I? Uh, but I feel like if it was integrated differently, then it might encourage different forms of roleplay for mechanically mind-focused people, and it might encourage more roleplay focused people to understand the mechanics better so that they could roleplay how they should work better into the game. I, I well, think that would I've liked so there's a I know there were there was there was and there still is the story game movement <laughs> where it was the systems of the game were set up so that they produced a certain kind of story. And those games well, I think I'll, it's fair to say a lot of them just didn't end up being to my taste. 
mm-hmm. but a lot of people apparently had a lot of fun with those games. And mm. not too long ago, less than a week ago, I ended up playing an Apocalypse World game for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And that's a game that's very much set up about... Uh, the way it was described to me is that it's set up about... You're, you build your... You say, how do you know these people around the table? What's your history with each other in the apocalypse? And you all play, like, different... They, they call them playbooks. They're basically... They're the game's equivalent of classes, but you get different benefits based on your history with the person mm-hmm. around the table. So it's supposedly set up to... Uh, kind of reward playing out a relationship with the other players' characters. Yeah. It didn't... I I didn't think it worked that well in practice from what how we played it, but Mm -hmm. there has been... Apparently, it is one of the more popular kinds of games in that genre. Okay. Does sound kind of interesting. Um, so what do you think about the idea of actually doing roleplay in turn order? Like, you roll for initiative at the start of your encounter, quote-unquote, and, uh, then you, like, each person gets, like, their six-second round or however long to, or maybe even just limit it to one sentence. That could be hilarious, because then it could also encourage people to use (laughs) run-on sentences to get more (laughs) roleplay in there. It'd be that, kind. It'd be kind of funny. I, I don't think I'd like to see that just because it's such a spontaneous thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the strength of it is that people can engage with it at the level they're comfortable with. We, you, you, right. you and I both know players who are not, who, when they're asked to role play a character, they get nervous or yeah. shy. They're not. They're not. They're not comfortable. Or they're yet. like, oh. uh... Yeah, I'm I'm a mage guy, so uh, I'll I'll look at my spellbook. Yeah, and then there's people who just fucking love it. Right? Yeah, because that's that's how it works. Sometimes I feel like you can get the feel for that on the start of almost any session, because especially when you're starting a new campaign, because you always start in a pub. Okay, <laughs> okay, guys, you start in a pub. What is everybody doing? Uh, I guess I'll uh order my meal and stuff. Oh, uh, and and maybe uh, see if there's a a room for the night, and oh. then you get the other end of the spectrum that's like I gallivant jauntily into the room, striding graciously as I strum upon my ukulele. I stand atop the pub table, and take off my hat and declare my desire <laughs> to be the world's greatest chef, and ask for everyone in the pub to accompany me. I challenge the three orcs in the corner playing darts to a game of darts. And that's that's how the adventure starts, usually. Yeah, yeah usually Tyler is like, oh, I'll pick a fight with those guys, and then they beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> mm, this beer is fucking good, too. Yeah. Mm. Truly mm-hmm. a good beer. Yeah, getting over to that. Um, so there is a bit of a mouthfeel there. It's not quite as heavy of a mouthfeel as a lot of Imperial Stouts are, uh, or a lot of, like, uh, barley wines. Um, but it's it's certainly there. Um, so that's pretty good. It's got a lot of that, like, smooth, rich maltiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's just a little kind of bite on the back end from the hops. 
that's really, really fucking good. Um, I'm right up there with you. I'm going to give that a 16 as well. Nice. I thought we would go pretty high on this because when I heard that it was Staff Month at Golden City Brewery, I was like, oh, guess what's going to be on the podcast every week? <laughs> so uh, I got another four-pack of a different kind of stout we'll have next week. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Hell yeah. All right, and uh, anyways, um, so role-play. So I think the idea would be interesting at least to experiment with at some point um, where you kind of are in your turns because then it would... Uh, I, I, I'm kind of curious as to how the different sides of the spectrum of players would approach it because the mechanically mind players would be kind of thinking, okay, what can I say to gain the largest advantage depending on the scenario? How do I avoid combat or how do I get the highest advantage towards myself if combat ensues anyway? And then the other kind of uh, player that's more on the roleplay side would be more like what you were saying, more, okay, I'm in the moment anyways, and I'm really not thinking about that. I'm just kind of invested into my character. And it uh, also, to an extent, might give uh, players that are weaker on roleplay a little more exposure to that. Because I think that's something that, like, they're uncomfortable with it, so they kind of avoid it or don't really know what to do with it when it's there. But if they can find that justification, I think it might help kind of push them in that direction, potentially. So I, when I came up with this idea, I was, like, actually kind of excited about it. So I would like to, at some point, give it a go. What You know, maybe it'll go horribly. I don't Yeah, I, I But, yeah, it sounds... I think the idea sounds interesting. What I would like to see is, if you wanted to encourage roleplay, have a system where everyone's in the same party, but you can, if they want to, they can come up with a secret goal on their own related to something, and uh, other players who, you know, may be like, I want to sit in the back, I, I, I don't, I can't think of anything or... I, I can't think of a goal or anything. You can be like, all right, would, do you want me to give you a goal? And then you give them something that's like kind of at odds with what another player is going. It's like, mm -hmm. one's like, I need to protect the princess's life. And the other's like, I need to kidnap her and get ransom for her. <laughs> and it's like, they're not totally opposed, but you can see how they would butt heads at some point in the future. Right, yeah. Or like, you kidnap the princess, and then the other guy's like, oh my god, he's gonna kill her! Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Accidental party fight. So I, I just had another idea for this. Is uh, What if we took this idea of roleplay in turn order, and like put it in a Phoenix Wright courtroom setting? <laughs> so like, you're all attorneys... Or, or like jury members maybe that are all arguing about what's going on in the in the court case, or I, like, I feel like maybe witnesses witnesses would be great. So then each of you like has an individual perspective on what happened, and you have to like convince the judge what is up, and then he it's gets like to one make guy the final is, say. One guy is Phoenix Wright, and the other guy is Edgeworth, and then somebody gets stuck being Larry Butts, and of course somebody's going to be Harvey Birdman too in this situation. Yeah. Or like fucking no one's gonna stop Harvey Specter or the Harvey Bird guy from Mentor the Mind ta Taker. <laughs> that guy was a judge. <laughs> mm. uh, you remember Microscope? 
Yeah. That was a game that was very... It, it wasn't just roleplay-centric. It was very, like, create a history. Yeah. Kind I of like thing. that idea. So I feel like that's about as far uh, roleplay, reward, story gamey as you can get. And even then, you're not, like, getting a mechanical reward for... Mm-hmm. Uh, for role playing, mm-hmm. role playing is its own the the kind of acting or like uh, creative expression side of it is its own reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thought I had, kind of on this, is uh, like I said, using role play as a part of combat. Uh, and when I was thinking of this question, I was kind of thinking of like different ways you could actually integrate it. Uh, into your character through combat and things like that. So I was thinking maybe of a system where you have to roleplay once per turn. Uh, So you're in the middle of combat and you have to say something or describe the way you attack or something that gives a little bit more flavor to the what is going on in the scenario than I roll my attack roll and then I roll a d6 of damage. And I like that a lot better, where it's like, instead of being like, I make an attack with my sword, no one, no one even says that. They just roll their dice and they say, I deal this much damage. Right, yeah. Especially at high-level play, when you're just like, okay, uh, what's it say C for the sake of ease? I have 25 attacks. Oh, it's AC is 32, so 23 of my 25 attacks hit, and 7 of them critically hit. So I get this much bonus damage, and this scenario happens, and my contingency goes off, and this and this. And the DM is really like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh. Oh, a damage number. Okay, cool. We got it. Yeah. (laughs) So, what I'd like to see more of is the whole, is a thing like, I don't know, I'm down on the ground, so I reach back and I grab a, go- a board, and as they run to hit me, I nail them in the face with the board. Uh-huh. That kind of shit. But then it would involve the DM being like, okay, I didn't know that there was, like, a broken board there, but I guess there is. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and they just have to be open to that kind of thing. That would be kind of interesting, too. Like, everybody's describing the scene together instead of the, just the DM. Because uh, the I feel like that's... At, in some ways, it's in most ways, I think it's a boon that the DM kind of decides what's going on in the scene. Yeah. But in some ways, it might be a detriment to roleplay, especially in that sort of a scenario where they're like, oh, is there something I could grab to use as a makeshift weapon? And it's like, oh, there's literally nothing. And then you're, they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to do something boring then and punch him. It's like Whoa. the 3.5 thing it's like, where you stab him in the Why can't there shins? be a rock on the ground? Why can't there be a board in the... Or, a you know, grab a log from the fireplace. Size it's a colossal-sized creature, and you're like, oh, I'm going to attack it. And you're just standing on the ground, hitting it in the shins until it dies. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, like, climbing on top of it and stabbing it in the neck and trying to get further up its head, Shadow of the Colossus style. Because the rules mm-hmm. don't really reward you for doing that. Right. In fact, they actively penalize you for doing that. Doing that would be like, oh, I do a shitload of skill checks to do one twentieth the damage of the thing that the guy who stands on the ground and punches it once will do. Stupid. Mm-hmm. So, I do think the roleplay, the, like, 
describing exactly what you're doing as like an action as opposed to saying I attack it and roll roll the attack roll and roll damage. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is what happens in not just uh, the story gaming that they're talking about, but in some of the more modern design gaming where they say describe your action and describe your intention and then we'll tell you what to roll for how to do that Mm -hmm. to make you just to make the players think about the scene a little more yeah but that just requires i feel like that only requires a little bit of discipline on say the players and dm side Mm -hmm. to remember to do that so i just had a thought about a system that could theoretically be invented where the players don't know any of the rules. Yes. They don't have to. DM has the rules. And so they would be like somewhat, uh, I don't know when to say generically, somewhat non-descriptively written, I think is a good way to put it. So like you do little damage, you get this much number. You do moderate damage, you do this much number. You do heavy damage, you do this much number, right? Or, or this many dice or something. Uh, and then, uh, to that extent, you don't have to teach any of the players anything. You don't have to even write up character sheets. You just have to have the players, okay, you guys are level blank. As the DM, I know how many hit points you have. It doesn't, I'll tell you when you're dead. Hand hand the players a blank character sheet (laughs) and just say, write your character's name on there. (laughs) Hmm. And then maybe you have them ask them to write like something else special about them. And then later on, you're like, okay, you seem like you're a strong guy. Would you say you're a strong guy? And be like, mm-hmm. yeah. And you're going to be like, okay, write down your strength and write down that it's this number. Yeah. So you slowly, so make it an additive thing. Yeah. I had a interesting idea for a campaign like that, too. Because I, I saw actually literally that idea for a, a as pitched as a D&D campaign, where it's like, you're all playing D&D, so you know the rules going in, but you don't know any of your stats or what your character is. And so I I, uh, I actually started preparing this as a one-shot, that it would be like there's something like uh, six characters that I made or something, and they all have a different story within the town that they're put in, but you all wake up with amnesia for some reason or another, and it's like one person just got blackout drunk and has amnesia one person got beat over the head and has amnesia and so all of them have a little different backstory even for why they have amnesia and then you're you know role playing through and being like uh i go to the bar uh can i have a beer and the bartender says we don't serve dragonborn here and you're like fuck i'm a dragonborn oh yeah uh i remember that so yeah yeah so that's the post that kind of inspired it and then i kind of went out of my way to create several different characters with, like, uh, different unique features that would come up in context but you wouldn't think of on your own, is what I tried to. And then I gave them all a backstory and a place in this city so that when you're going through the campaign, you would, like, accidentally wander upon somebody that you've wronged before or helped before. And like, interesting wait, I know you. Interactions would come roll up Roll to that. see why this guy knows you. If you roll, if you succeed, uh, you get to say why. Uh, actually, I'm just describing a thing from Apocalypse World now. That was, like, one of the things we did like from it. Mm-hmm. But if you fail, uh, the DM gets to describe why, and it's a bad reason. Mm-hmm. Probably. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, I, I failed. 
He knows you because you owe him money. He's Jimmy the Loan Shark. He's gonna... <laughs> not Jimmy! <laughs> he'd be like, not Jimmy? Who's that? <laughs> He's coming at you with a baseball bat. <laughs> at least it's not peanut butter jelly. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. a long time ago. Right, wasn't it? Yeah. The first time I saw him, I was so confused because it was in like this fan-made Flash video of... Um, uh, it was like when they were... It was before the death battle guys started doing death battles, but it was like a death battle between Cecil from Final Fantasy IV and somebody else. And at the end of the video, you could click on who you wanted to win, and if you clicked on Cecil, he would be like, and now it is time for my greatest and most powerful summon, peanut butter jelly time! <laughs> <laughs> the fucking banana guy just comes out and starts just out of nowhere just just squishes the other guy and starts doing the peanut butter jelly dance thing on him and I'm just like what the fuck is this I have no idea what's going on <laughs> so shout out to that guy whoever the fuck that was so uh, so look I up Cecil versus on Newground is Newground still around Newgrounds is still around and doing porn oh cool I mean, they they were always doing. They that. were always doing porn. Yeah, but uh, they they like to tweet about it. And when Tumblr restricted to, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, uh, so more back to the topic. Um, I I think it would be actually kind of cool in a different way if literally the players just didn't need to know the rules. Yeah, and so they could just focus on role play. And maybe you could say every now and then, okay, roll a die to see if you hit, and I'll tell you because I know your bonus based on the situation. Because I feel like you could make it a relatively intricate system uh, for the DM to give, like, uh, you get bonuses in different situations, and depending on how you describe your attack and this and that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that would be really cool. Like, okay, you're in a situation where you're fighting some guys and you say, I'm going to hit him with my sword. I'm going to swing it real hard like a baseball bat. Okay, that's a okay description and you're a strong guy, so yeah, I'll give you moderate damage on that. Or they come in and they're like, I'm going to slide under his legs and cut one out from under him and then I'm going to kick him in the other leg while I'm doing that. And you're going to be like, I don't understand how that works, but it sounds neat. High damage. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Or, uh... You get extra bonuses to attack if you roleplay well or if you have the high ground or if you, like, do something interesting that integrates roleplay with it. Like, uh, oh, I'm going to throw my boomerang and cut down the chandelier to land on him. You know, weird shit like that. Yeah. It just needs there to be a chandelier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's, again, one of those things where the players could describe the scene just as well as the... DM. Yeah. And if you integrate that, I think it would be a more communal storytelling thing rather than what traditional RPGs are. You are player characters in this story that I am telling. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think for a different change of pace, I think this could be a really cool kind of a thing to integrate like, okay, whatever the players say is happening is also potentially happening. You know, not, don't let them go overboard with it, but, like, you're in a big room, you're fighting the boss, there could be a chandelier. Who fucking cares? Yeah. So, 
this is part of what the whole story game thing was about. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, giving the players the ability to narratively control shit like that. Yeah. And being and making it like an explicit thing. I never felt like it needed to be explicit, but then mm-hmm. uh, you run into situations where the GM's like, no, that isn't a thing. Yeah. And you're like, it sounds reasonable. Like, no, it's not there. Right. And... But it's just it's just a different style of gaming, I think. Right. Yeah. To an extent, it is, and it's it's one of those things where also some DMs will prepare like a lot, and some DMs will be like a little lighter on preparation, like me, um, and where they might have described the entire room and literally every single one of its contents. And no, I didn't tell you there was any rock in it, so you cannot cast light on a stone to throw into the darkness before the you. Number I'll just be like, if you ask me if there's a rock on the ground literally at any time, I'm gonna say fucking, why not? I will probably just say, I pick up the rock on the ground because there's probably a rock on the ground. Right, yeah. You're in a dungeon, there's a rock on the ground. The number You're of outside, times I've been told that there is not. You're in the pub. Not. I mean, orcs keep weird shit. I'm, I'm, calling, I'm calling out a bunch of people <laughs> here, but the number of times I've been uh, told that there's no rock on the ground in, in a dungeon... It's it baffles me. It's like, oh, I'll pick up a rock to throw at it. There's no rocks in the in the hallway. I'm like, well, what is here? Is it just an empty hallway? Is there nothing else here but the hallway? Maybe there's an eyeball switch which twists the hallway. And a wallmaster. And a giant fucking green bubble that looks like crazy powerful. But it's actually literally just as hard to kill as a regular bubble. You just stab it twice. Yeah, it's and you're like, oh, crazy. That was that was like, like you're surprisingly good at making that noise. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I played Ocarina of Time a bunch. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't, then like you're missing out. Go go fucking play that game. I mean, why are you listening to my podcast? Go yeah. play Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time is a better use of your time than listening to my podcast. But leave us a good review first. Are you leading into a thing that you want to do tomorrow, this, uh, this coming Saturday here? Or am I going to do a thing this coming Saturday here? Um, I don't know. I'm doing Valentine's Day stuff tomorrow. Oh, okay. Because I didn't get to do it today because my wife had to work. So yeah. uh, I'm not going to have D&D tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. We're, we're, we're recording this on Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, so to any of you... Uh, who are having a good Valentine's Day? Stop. Good it. job. Or, I mean, stop. Wait, wait, what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're having a crappy Valentine's Day, then come have a drink with us. Yeah, we have beer. I mean, you you probably are not literally going to supplies come to my limited, house, right? Like if if you Act fast if you road <laughs> if you road trip to my house while it is still Valentine's Day to drink beer with me, I will give you a fucking can of that stout we're gonna have next week. I got four of them. We we can spare one. You know what? Yeah, that's that's a it's a good thing. That's our new giveaway. All right. Anybody who road trips to my house gets a can of stout. <laughs> Anyways, is uh, is there anything else you want to say on this table topic here? Uh, I also liked uh, the spiritual attributes from Riddle of Steel, where if you were in pursuit of one of, if you were like in, you're like. I'm after the man who killed my father. So if you were, like, on a quest fighting the dude's guards, mm-hmm. it's, like, a really brutal combat system. But you're like, oh, I'm fighting the guards that are guarding the man that killed my father. I'm going to add my spiritual attribute dice to this. And then suddenly you're, like, 
a super hap- hero. I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. That would be kind of neat, yeah. Like a morale bonus, but better. It was like, oh, your, your skill More is like... interesting. Your dice are like five, but then you have five in the spiritual attribute, so now it's ten, so you just doubled it. Right. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so if that's that, I suppose we can move on. You yep. going to have any more of that? Uh, you have the rest. I will, because this shit is good. It is. Boink. Just a little more. All right. So, moving on to our video game topics. Best video game roleplay mechanics ever. I have two games to bring up. Leisure Suit Larry? Uh, no. Oh. Also, that's only one game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Disco Elysium... Oh, yeah. Which I brought up a few times. And that was all over the Game Awards, and you talked about it a fair amount. Yeah, so... I feel like that game is very good at making you get in the headspace of this drunken amne- this drunk amnesiac detective. Is drinking in this game? I need it. Yeah, you're, you're, you, play a, you play a late-stage alcoholic detective. Sweet. Who uh, is mired in the disco era. Hmm. <laughs> And you kind of play, as you play, you kind of figure out what you did and what kind of person you are. But you also have, all of your skills are also, like, aspects of your personality. Mm -hmm. So authority helps you, like, come across as authoritative to other people and get them to do what you want. Neat. (laughs) You you really had to do that right then. I did, because otherwise I'm going to drink this stout and, like... Uh, you know, you know what not that, have a picture that's of it. Fair. Uh, what was I saying? It's gonna it's gonna come off really weird on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> basically, it's author- authority is like helps you come across as authoritative to people. But mm-hmm. if someone disrespects you, the higher it is, the more likely it is to start screaming at you to like get the situation under control and be like, "Oh, that that girl insulted you. Put place her under arrest." Mm-hmm. You're, you have hand-eye coordination, which means that you're better at like aiming with your gun. Mm-hmm. But there's this. There are situations where it's like you have a gun in your hands, and they're like, "Oh, that girl is mocking you. Point the gun at her and shoot her." Right. <laughs> so, and. Failures can sometimes be more of a success than the success itself. Mm-hmm. So Neat. each of the s- skills is both a skill and like a little piece of your personality. Hmm. So it kind of helps you. And then you, on top of that, you have a bunch of little dialogue choices for the kind of person you want to be. Like it asks you, what do you think of the expression on your face pretty early in the game? Mm-hmm. And you have a bunch of different options that kind of define what that character is and eventually, and can turn into, like, mechanical benefits. Hmm. Cool. So that was one of the two. I'm, like, way hyped about this game now. Like, that sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. I want to get this game now. It's... Uh, which I might do, because I'm almost done with Blasphemous, I think. Because uh, I've had that for, like, a week now. And I was like, ooh, this is cool. And then I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I need to finish Valhalla first. And then I finished Valhalla. And that was also really good. So um, that's an interesting game for role play because you don't role play particularly, but you serve drinks and you can... I'm not sure exactly how much influence it has, but uh, I've read that you can like serve 
If you serve exactly the right drink in certain situations, you can unlock secret scenes that don't play otherwise and stuff like that. Huh. Which sounds kind of interesting. And mostly, um, it tells you the mechanic is that, like, uh, you can actually get people more drunk in certain situations by putting more alcohol in their drink. Because it's like a cyberpunk thing where all alcoholic drinks are actually made out of synthetic ingredients. So you're, like building these things and you can like make them extra large versions of the same drink to include more alcohol or some of them have optional uh alcohol content so you can just like shove in way more alcohol and like you can just top off the fucking glass with alcohol and get people fucking wasted uh and i didn't really see that it made a huge difference through my playthrough so i'm not sure exactly how much difference it is but um uh, like in one scenario, uh, I gave like this reporter lady came in that was like kind of depressed about her job and I gave her like some reasonably alcoholic drinks and then she came back the next day and was like all mad that she came into work hungover and got fired. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if I serve her less alcoholic drinks if she doesn't get fired and you get alternate things from that. I don't know. Uh, so it's like, that's kind of interesting. But, uh, Yeah. So that was an interesting oh. game for roleplay, even though literally the only thing you could do to affect it was make different drinks. Make different drinks and let have people talk to you. Mm -hmm. You literally are the bartender. Yeah. But ab above that, uh, I think the game works. Like, if you dig a good roleplaying game, I think you'll really like this one. Because there's not so much r strict roleplaying, but the characterization is at least as good as the best role-playing games I've played. So it's... I, I kind of feel like it's almost, from what you're describing, it's almost, like, visual novel style, but... It is totally a visual novel, yeah. yes. Okay. But I... It sounds like the kind of thing I'd still be interested in seeing. Yeah, you even know, if you just, like, uh, mix the wrong drinks and don't give a shit. I, I think it would still be an interesting story to just watch all of it unfold. I know uh, Papers, Please and Kentucky Route Zero both got a lot of attention for mechanics that let you get kind of like deep in the headspace of those mm -hmm. the people you were playing, but I didn't play either of those, so I can't really speak to it. Right. I just felt the need to mention them. Mm -hmm. Uh I would say Undertale does a good job of making you think about every little choice you make. Uh-huh. That's another one that was on, on my list. Yeah. And I'm like, I got a little game drought, but in March, then it's going to be all Doom all the time. I would say it is kind of unfortunate that that game was not on the Times Top 10 Games of the Decade, and instead Grand Theft Auto V was on there. That's strange. I'm like Grand Theft Auto Five. No, by no means was it a bad game. But right? Yeah. It's not. It wasn't like the kind of thing I would think. Yeah. yeah this deserves to. I was like, it's a good game, but I don't think it. Like I feel like, depending on who's making the list, obviously it's all up to their interpretation. Yeah. But um, for Grand Theft Auto Five, like basically, whenever I hear about it, people are usually praising it. And it's a very well-received open world and online experience. So I can kind of see where they might come from from that. Especially if they were 
uh, giving it a shout out as one of the best online games because I I think it certainly made at least as much of an impact of every as every other online game this decade short of Fortnite. I think Fortnite was on there. I think it was Fortnite and uh, League mm. of Legends were on there. And yeah. I think it was actually top 10 influential games. Okay. And so I if it's like, influential games, then I could see it. Because it's... I do feel like it had a very big presence in the online and kind of made online... It kind of pushed online into a certain direction. Okay. I guess I might be able to see that. I still think that I'm like it's just another. To me, I'm like yeah, it's got Grand Theft Auto Online, but this sounds like an interesting thing that we should put on for later. So we're gonna yeah. do a top ten most influential games. Uh, oh God, I gotta come up with ten games, right? <laughs> Maybe you come up with five, and I'll come up with five. All right. Uh, me, uh, should we do just the decade, or should we do just forever? We should do games in our experience. Games we've directly, like, played or something. Okay, so... Uh, so so nothing that's, like... So cultural impact or personal impact? Uh, a little of both. If you, if you want to, just, just whatever we want to include. Okay. If the requirements are loose enough, people can't blame us for putting shit on the list and be like, no, that other thing deserved to be on there. Which Magic is, isn't even a video game. Yeah, which is exactly <laughs> what I'm doing to the times list. But <laughs> Right. Yeah, all right. Um, uh, one of the coolest roleplay mechanics I thought uh, at the time was um, in Chrono Trigger. Where you've got this whole, like, thing where it kind of pays attention to what actions you take in the fair. And uh, and then you get to the courtroom scene, and it kind of points out what actions you did. And I, I learned later that there was literally no way to win the courtroom scene anyway. And that was kind of disappointing. Did but you at the get same judged time, guilty or innocent? You, you always get judged guilty. Actually, you can get you can get judged innocent. He just puts you in jail anyway. Oh, okay. Right. It was something like that. Because I, yeah. I, I found that out later, that you can't actually... Like, no matter what you do, even if you do it perfectly, like, you still play through the story the same way. But at the time, it really felt like, oh my god, everything I do influences the story! Which later became a big part of storytelling in certain kinds of role-playing games, like Mass Effect and Knights of the Old Republic, uh, stuff like that. It, it really it really kind of broke ground, even though it was just that those two scenes, the, mm-hmm. the fair part and then the trial later. Yeah, which referenced the fair part and paid attention to what you did there, but it's like... But hmm. it was the first... It was one of the... I think it was the first yeah, game to do that. Probably. It's the first one that I was aware of doing that. And then, obviously, it became a much bigger thing and actually does make a huge difference in games like Mass Effect or Knights of the Old Republic. And Knights of the Old Republic is the other game that I was going to bring up for great role-playing because uh, that was the first game that I really got into that really pushed role-playing as one of the game mechanics, almost like we were saying in our tabletops. Um, 
Because I think video games maybe are just a more accepting medium to that than tabletop games. Because tabletop games, to an extent, you've got to be able to associate differently. Or, or at least that's how they're built, I think. I think. But in a video game, the video game can tell you, this is the mechanic, and you have to deal with it. A video game has... A video game is finite. You can plan for a finite space, so you can plan for... So, there's a finite amount of actions the player can take. Mm -hmm. So, you can plan for every action they can take, and can respond to every action they can take, which makes them feel more responsive. A tabletop RPG is, at least in theory, infinite. Mm -hmm. So, a player can be like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to dress up as a nun and sneak out on this ship. And the GM can be like, I don't know what the fuck to do with that. You say, okay, you leave. Make a new guy so you can be part of the party. Yeah. <laughs> or no, no, the rest or of the, party, is the like, party follows him, and then you can be like... The rest of us are going to dress up as nuns. We're going to fight crime on this ship. And he's like, you know, I had a campaign prepared in the city, but let's see where this is going. Right, yeah, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> that's why I never prepare more than, like, one or two sessions ahead. That's that's the sandbox way. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, yeah, I think Knights of the Old Republic was the first game that I really saw that pushed video games into this direction. Um, maybe to some extent also, I guess before that I would say Morrowind kind of did the same thing. Uh, but it wasn't as integral to the experience. Because uh, in Morrowind, like, for the most part, you would just do whatever quest you wanted to at the behest of whatever guy and then if you didn't want to do that quest you would just like wander off and do something else but uh in knights of the old republic it was like you're in these situations and you can't get out of them without role playing and so how do you role play your way out are you gonna walk the path of oh i'm the good guy i'm gonna try and save everybody or are you gonna be like that guy's a dick he's trying to steal your land throw a lightsaber <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the uh first two fallout games in new vegas uh <laughs> where it was at the end based on everything you had done it would do like a vignette of every location you had visited and how things turned out there mm -hmm. uh and it was funny because sometimes your actions would have a big impact like you'd save the community and they'd be like oh this thing this thing happened and this is how it turned out here and then sometimes no matter what you did, the things would turn out the same and be like, later, Myron was stabbed in in the den by a jet addict <laughs> because he was a D-bag. And you're like, okay, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I don't fucking care about you, Myron. You piece of shit. Yeah, fuck you, Myron. I don't know who he is, but yeah. fuck him. Yeah. He's <laughs> a drug-dealing nerd. Cool. No, he sucks. Oh. Myron sucks. <laughs> is he worse than Hop? Or Bead? Or... Whoever people are complaining about these days. Uh, who, I don't know who Hopper Beat is. They're the rivals you have in Pokemon Sword and Shield. Yeah, he's and probably worse than them because, you know... It's weird because everybody complains about Hop, and Hop is like this nothing character. He's like, he's just there. Literally, his motivation is that I'm your rival because everybody in the Pokemon world needs a rival. No, Myron's a scumbag. He's like this close... To being a fucking fourth wall break. He's just there to do that. And like like the entire game, I was just apathetic to him, but a lot of people are pissed off by him. But you have another kind of pseudo-rival called Bede, 
who's just a dickhead for the sake of being a dickhead. So he's kind of probably more like that. Where he just, like, comes in every now and then and he's like, Ah, I blew up this archaeological dig site to mine wishing stars for the guy that endorsed me for the Pokemon Championship. And then the guy that endorsed him is like, The fuck you doing? You're out. And then he's like, ah, but I was being a perfect little boy and doing what was right for the chairman. Awful. And you're just like, shut the fuck up. And then at the end of the game, like, you're in the final tournament, which is basically the way they handle the Elite Four is you kind of, the the Elite Four in this game is basically like a tournament style. You're fighting some of the old gym leaders that you already fought again, but they're more powerful, which actually I thought that was really cool. But then you, like, you beat them, and then before you go to the champion battle, he just comes back out, and he's like, Hi, I snuck onto the field, and I know it's illegal, and can I have another Pokemon battle? And, like, in real life, I'm just, like, screaming at my Switch, just like, No! Don't you fucking do it! Why is he not being arrested right now? If I went onto the field of a major sporting event in, like, the fucking Super Bowl, I would be fucking arrested. I would be the shit beat out of me by fucking cops. Yeah. Right? And I he's mean, just, that's what's happened. And You've then just that? everybody's <laughs> like, oh, I guess it won't do any harm. And I'm just like, what the fuck, guys? Okay. I'm Why are you letting this happen? He's just some stupid fucking turd. Pikachu. Shock bead to death. Please. You're like that's Please. not just that's not an attack. Tyranitar, Stone Edge be did death. We're not supposed to attack people in an officially sanctioned Pokemon battle. Well, this isn't an officially sanctioned Pokemon battle now, is it? Oh yeah. <laughs> he wasn't in the tournament. It's like such stupid bullshit. They just shoehorn him in to just be a dick more. Give me back my husband trying to steal my Pokemon, are you? He's, like, actually less of a character and more of a dick than Rivali. Wow. Oh, yeah, I guess you could sell Myron into slavery if you let Metzger live. Cool. You could just go to Metzger and be like, hey, I have a companion I want sold into slavery. Apparently we're back to the role-playing thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yay, on topicness. So another game I was going to shout out is really basically the whole Fire Emblem series. Yeah. Because uh, roleplay isn't strictly a mechanic, but it is adjacent to a mechanic. Because through the support system, you can basically give your party buffs just by standing next to their best buddy or waifu or whatever. Uh, and I think that's fucking amazing. And it really just goes further for character building than literally any other series ever made. Basically, because Fire Emblem Echoes awake, uh, had, in the Birthright campaign, you were allowed to just grind missions. It was uh, Fates. Just... It was Fates, wasn't it? Yeah. Echoes was the remake of Fire Emblem 2. You're, you're right. It was anyway. Fates. I'm being stupid. Anyway, okay. I just stood... You're, you're being stupid. You have to drink. I'm going to pour another, like drop of this stout that's left in the can. Okay. Okay. Let me get that down. Okay. That's good. Basically, it was... I got a bunch of people up to S rank Mm -hmm. before really getting that far in the story. Hmm. I don't remember that specifically. I played Birthright as well, and I really liked it. Um... But, again, like, even if you got some of them up really quick, you could... Like, there was a lot... Like... 
most characters can have some amount of relationship with most characters. So it's like, you get an S rank, okay, put this bow guy next to this other guy for a while and see what conversations they do. And the last uh, rank meant they had kids and then you could get their kids as recruits. Yeah, that too. That was kind of another uh, interesting mechanic in those ones where it's like, you get, you know, you know it's a little bit like, ooh, I can ship my own Fire Emblem characters and it actually matters, which I didn't care about as much as like, hey, there's actually some cool new characters you can get through this mechanic, which I didn't get a ton of uh, in Awakening or in Fates because uh, they had the same mechanic in both. But I got a, like a few of them. Um, but also just like who you have next to each other through the whole game kind of affects the way the whole game will play out and what characters you'll like because like you might like a character okay but then like if they have like no born no good support conversations because they happen to not be next to anybody for a while or something then they die off you'll probably just be like okay whatever yeah and keep on going without them even though they might have been a good character and you might have just missed something so it's one of those things that adds a little replayability to Fire Emblem where it's like, okay, what if I, instead of putting the two Cavaliers next to each other now, I separate them and put them each next to a ranged unit or something. Uh, level up those relationships. See those different scenes. Uh, and it, it kind of integrates role-playing into the gameplay because then it's like, okay, I always want to place the uh, buddies whoever's you know best friends with the other guy i want to put them next to each other on the battlefield uh so i i really like the way that fire emblem handles that just in general i really like that the pregnancies in that game lasted for like one second and then you instantly got their mm -hmm. child as an adult unit yeah uh except for one which was interesting because it was a future baby that came back in time in the storyline because but that was awakening wasn't it yeah that was awakening okay because uh, that was lucina and for that reason, like, I will never see Robin as a boy because I played Robin as a boy and it was, like, funny because I played, like, two or three chapters in, but I started on hard mode because I was like, oh, yeah, I've played Fire Emblem before. Maybe I can take this. Oh, I'm up for a challenge. And, like, in the third chapter, I was like, literally, I couldn't get through it without losing five units. I was like, no, this isn't going to happen. Wow. I'm not that good of a tactician, apparently. Uh, so I I reset the game, and I was like, I wonder if there's any major differences if you're a girl. And, and the difference is that you can get married to Krom. Yes, that is the difference. And Krom is forever my husband. <laughs> and Lucida is our child. Yeah. And it is wonderful. I have a blue-haired anime boy husband, and you don't. I did. And But, yeah, it, like, it totally changes my perception of robin as a character because robin to a lot of people is like this random like almost faceless character there's not a ton to robin's character there's just like you know g mostly generic main character anime guy or girl uh but to me robin is the mother of lucina and the queen of the land once you know crumb you know gets back to whatever I never beat it's, that game. It's I should the, beat that It's game. the personality thing, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, that's another reason I really like Disco Elysium, because no matter how you play that game, even though you have a lot of say in how in determining the main character's personality, no matter what, they're like a complete whack job. Uh-huh. They are just completely off the wall. Nice. 
It's weird that somehow we've had an episode where we've gone this long without mentioning a Zelda game. Well, I mean, you don't really you don't really role play Link. Not a lot. I mean, he's got uh, some characterization. You, yeah, sometimes. sometimes you get. Uh, I I do like the little tiny dialogue options that he gets in some games because, like, in every time he gets a dialogue option, it is pretty much always like the regular answer and the wise ass answer and that's fucking awesome and i'm just like link is such a cheeky bastard especially in breath of the wild but to a lesser extent like wind waker zelda asks you can you keep a secret no (laughs) please keep it a secret to everybody she says come on don't be a blabbermouth (laughs) right yeah you just get the same but now I'm thinking of that picture with that moblin. <laughs> I forgot God about that picture with that moblin. Uh, yeah. So uh, look up. It's a secret to everybody, moblin, Wind Waker, and uh, maybe you'll get a shocking surprise. Okay. Uh, is there any other video games you want to name out for role-playing quality? There's probably some other CRPGs or some shit, but can't think of them right now. Probably. Definitely not Skyrim. Yeah, Skyrim is, like, okay about that, but it's, like, eh. Like, the dialogue options are there, but I feel like they never really affected much. Did they? No. You have, like, three options, and they all go down the same path. Right. On the other hand, I guess there is, like, objectively bad role-playing things. Like, it's weird to say Fire Emblem is a good one and Fire Emblem is a bad one, but, like... In Fire Emblem uh, Three Houses, there's several dialogue options where you can tell that they're written to where no matter which option you pick, the character's response is identical. The next character who talks. Uh, and But to then, go then back why, on that, why, I really did like the support conversations in Fire Emblem Three Houses. So it's not a bad game, but that was a bad part of it. Um, why, why give a choice? Why give a right, choice yeah. if there's not going to be even a marginal difference? Right, yeah. And to that extent also that it had a lot of times where it like it made you select dialogue as though there were a choice, but there is actually only one choice. And I'm just like why aren't you just putting this in a text box with everybody else's dialogue like you always have with your main characters and and maybe expound upon it a little to give Byleth any fucking personality whatsoever, but we've been over that. Uh, so, um, to an extent, I think actually Pokemon is really a bad series about that as well in the last couple of generations, because I feel like I started noticing it in X and Y occasionally, and then it was really bad in Sun and Moon, and it was really bad in Sword and Shield, where it's like, whatever dialogue option I say it doesn't matter you're giving me the same response I don't remember dialogue options in red and blue I remember just being a silent yeah in red and blue you didn't really talk anything so So they could have just stuck with that and it would have been fine yeah just be like oh I walked into the sight path of some Pokemon trainer that automatically that means I want to fight them (laughs) and we'd be good yeah but yeah in Sword and Shield it was also because it was weird because it's like it would give you dialogue options and sometimes they would actually like be synonyms like it's like somebody would be like hey do you want to go do this thing and do this side quest and your options are yes or sure 
why? Right? Why just... bother why bother coding in a system for responses? <laughs> right? Why yeah, bother like, writing you the word? Literally ignore it and just have their the the other character talking to you be like, Okay, great, see you there, and you've more or less accepted the side quest, quote unquote. And like why not why not just do that? Like games did for fucking years. I'd I'd at least like it if a game if the when the game said yes is the only way forward, but offers no as an option for it to give a, like a really smart ass response in response to the no, right? Like don't be a blabbermouth. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't. You, you I want to hear what I said again. <laughs> fuck you, Kabora Kabora. <laughs> we sold you to a wizard. Nice. I saw a video the other day of somebody trying to shoot him with the slingshot. I'm like, if if you didn't do this in your childhood, you had a crappy childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody tried to murder Gaypora Gaypora. Fuck that owl. <laughs> also, fuck the owl in uh, Link's Awakening. Fuck that owl as well. He's not quite as bad. Because it's like, okay, in the Game Boy... In, in as confined of a system as it can, I feel like it has to give you a clue of where to go somehow. And I feel like the owl there is better than nothing in some cases. And you can usually also call Grandpa Ryra, but it's like just having that, you know, storyline moment kind of interject itself and be like all up in your face about it sometimes. I think was an okay decision. So I didn't mind him as bad as in Link's Awakening. He is trying to get you to commit genocide, though. That's true. I always wondered, is he working for the Windfish or the Nightmares? Uh, I think the manga went into it in detail. Hmm. That's I guess there was a Link's Awakening manga. Yeah, there's a manga for a lot of them. Um, They're always kind of weird. If you yeah. Ever I've, I've read the first half of the Ocarina of Time manga. Um... I wanted to get into them, but it's one of those things that I'm just like, I never have time and money. So and basically, I'm like, I almost want to be like that cheap ass that is like, I'm not buying every book for eight ninety five. I'm buying all twelve books for forty dollars, you know, <laughs> or however much the box set it. Because there's a giant box set I can get that's like, oh, that'll get me all of them, and I'm th- like, that would also look cooler on my shelf. I think I read it online at some point during the nineties. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, and it was... There have been a few of them, too, because right now there's a big one um, by uh, Akira Himikawa, which is actually a pseudonym for two Japanese writers. Huh. Uh, which I found that out at the back of Hyrule Historia, because they wrote also a prequel Cy- Skyward Sword comic that they published in Hyrule Historia, which was actually pretty cool. Um, Bruce's Day Out? Yeah. I, I wish that was... <laughs> No, actually, it was kind of cool, because it was like a prequel to Skyward Sword, where, like, there's a Link before Skyward Sword, and he's, like, imprisoned by the people of Hyrule for some reason, and they unchain him, and they're like, please, save us from all these demons that are attacking, and he goes out and he fights some demons, and then the goddess Hylia actually raises Skyloft in the end, but, uh... I don't remember. I'd have to read it again, but I think it was implied that, like, Link just kind of stayed there fighting the demons off while everybody else was evacuated to the sky. 
So basically, fuck those guys. To, a little bit, yeah. But I was like, that's actually kind of a fucking badass story. But yeah, Link also had a really wise-ass answer in it when they came to him to unchain him. He's like, okay, so you'll unchain me if you need my services? Yeah, something like that. He's like... Wow. He's like, you guys are being dicks about this, but I'm going to be free, so I guess I'll do it. And then he probably died fighting demons on the surface. Yeah. So. Yeah. Had to be reincarnated into a less spiteful version of himself in order to uh, save the world that more was the fully. With, uh, with the... Some stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anywho, is that all we have? I think that's all we have. All right. Well, uh, in that case, Chris, did you bring a thing? I did not bring. You a seem thing. to be quite thingless. I am thingless. Luckily, I should have I brought a thing. Because I, as I mentioned, got the uh, limited run Blasphemous, which came with a little comic book. Awesome. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm gonna get my grubby fingers all over this. Oh man. And of course, the uh, limited run card, which I was like, hey, I have these giant ass plastic sleeves. I'm gonna put it in here. So that's pretty cool too, because uh, cool the limited stuff. run cards always are pretty neat. Um, I've got a whole two of them in my collection, which is this and Kingdom of Loathing, but uh, or West of Loathing. But yeah, I thought that was a cool little add-on that they just put the little comic book in there. Um, I haven't read it. I kind of looked through it a little bit, and then I got into the game, but I haven't had a chance to actually sit down and read the comic. But yeah. Blasphemous is... It looks like a super cool game. It's weird. It's rare to see a game that has, like, gorgeous pixel art like that that's also so, like, gory. It's, yeah. like, gorgeous and gory at the same time. Yeah, and, like, some of the imagery in here is just, like, that kind of... Like, some of it's kind of shocking, and some of it's just kind of, like, weird and uh, kind of surreal almost in some ways. Uh, got burned face not over there. Yeah. Um, I actually have a little video of me fighting burned face nun. Uh, so that's... Uh, <laughs> I was going to post that on my Twitter later. Um, and yeah, it's it's really... It's kind of cool. Uh, and it's got like... Sometimes you can get glory kills too that are just like... You know... Differently... Less cartoonish than Mortal Kombat, but that same kind of level of gore, you know. Uh, so it's it's pretty cool, and it's really the last thing I kind of would have expected. But it it really feels like a great combination of everything I love about Castlevania and Dark Souls, because the Castlevania exploration is there. But it's not quite so confusing as I feel like sometimes. I I haven't played a lot of Castlevania. Uh, I'm more referencing the Metroid games I've played because they're right along the same lines. I, I always get confused as shit in Metroid of where I am and where I'm going, and there's too much backtracking. The Metroid uh, games can get pretty maze-like. Yeah. And this is like, it's got a little of that, but it's not so ridiculous that it's impossible. It's like you always can reference your map, and you've got a very simple map, but it always gives you the gist of where you need to go if you look for like oh what exits to what rooms have i not been through and it's like okay you can puzzle together where you might have to go next at any given time do you know what was up with that guy like filling his mask with blood and then putting it on his face nobody's fucking cool uh 
I don't think that's ever explained. I think he just does it. Yeah, he does that, like, at the start of the game. And um, I'm like, that's kind of interesting. And later on, it's explained that you heal yourself with these magical vessels that you fill with blood or something. So I'm like, I'm not really sure. But yeah, it's like the first fucking thing he does. is literally, you start the game, and you walk into the next room, and there's a boss fight. And you kill the boss. Uh... And then you put your hat next to its wound, fill it full of blood, and put it on. It just goes gushing everywhere. It's like, it doesn't need to have a reason. It's like one of those fucking, you know, here's a weird gory scene for the hell of it. Yeah, so this game is fucking awesome. I would totally recommend it. Uh, especially if you if you like Castlevania or Dark Souls or both, then it's totally got a lot of those kind of elements from it. The combat is very reminiscent of Dark Souls 3 from what I've played of that, where it's like you kind of just got to get used to the way enemies move, learn their patterns a little bit, and figure out, should I block, should I dodge? So, like, properly difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, fairly difficult in parts, and... Other parts are not quite as difficult. Uh, I think I actually went... It's funny, too, because it doesn't give you a specific order to do anything in until... Like, you basically, you get through, like, the first little area. It's kind of the tutorial. And then it, there's, like, three branching paths that you can go on. And I think I did the hardest one first. Because <laughs> I'm, like, climbing up this mountain, and there's, like, balls hard, platforming segments... And you have to fight things while you're platforming. And the platforms are like rickety old bridges, so they fall away if you stand on them too long. And then you have to, like, uh, hold yourself on the side of the mountain on your sword uh, until your the platform respawns, basically. And then you have to jump back while you're still fighting stuff. And the save points are further between in that segment than in either of the other two. So you so just I'm did like, that one first? Yeah. And then it, you're like, oh, it's easier now. Right, yeah, I did that one first, and I got a couple of upgrades, and then I really knew how to play the game pretty well, so the second and third segments were just like, oh, this was not all that easy, or not all that hard, comparatively. So I... <laughs> but it was, it was pretty cool. And now I'm kind of in the last segment, and it's kind of bringing that all together and throwing in new weird enemies that are, again, even more brutally challenging. So, great fucking game so far. Um, I'm pretty close to finishing it, I think. Uh, it's not super long, but uh, it's good. Also worth noting, the main character has, like, a sword that stabs him in the hands as he uses it. Mm-hmm. That's not actually explained. Is that true? That's kind of cool. I mean, look, look at it. Hmm. Yeah. Look at the thorns on there. I guess everything is covered in thorns, yeah. Neat. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Limited Run obviously is not doing these anymore, but uh, you can get it on Switch on the eShop. It's on other consoles, too. It's on, I don't know what other consoles, but... Uh, Steam. That's a console, right? Yeah. I mean, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you've got an Xbox One controller, what would you rate this game? Um, ooh, that's a good question. Um, 
Maybe I should start bringing a thing. You you bring the tabletop things, and I'll bring a video game. Yeah, sounds uh, good to me. And I can show you all my collection, uh, some limited editions if I've got them and stuff. Um, <clears throat> so Blasphemous, um, this is really good. It's kind of a hard one to say, though. Um, so it's... One of its strengths is one of its greatest weaknesses, too, because also every item that you get, it has, like, this lore. Uh, like, you can you can pick up any item, and it'll give you a short description of it and what it does, and then you can push uh, X to see literally, like, three to five paragraphs of lore for every item. And you read all of it? I do. And oh. it's, it's cool. But... Sometimes it's really confusing exactly how any of this fits in the story. And it's like this random story of some blacksmith that did something once. Holy and you're shit, just like, you are the perfect person for Disco Elysium. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, it's all weird. And it's, I feel like a lot of it, I'm not even sure if it does fit together. And sometimes every, like every now and then you'll find a piece that's like, okay, now that kind of fits together these two pieces. So I imagine there's an overarching story that fits together every one of them, but some of them are very well hidden, and some of these items are like, I've seen them, and I have literally no idea how to get to them. So like, I kind of wish that if they were going to do this lore that it was like, I don't know, I like the way that it's done, but I almost wish that you could get a more complete story with a casual playthrough like I'm doing. Uh, so that's one little knock against it that I would do. But the platforming is really fun. Uh, super challenging it, in certain places. I've, I've died far more times falling into a pit of spikes than I have to actual combat in this game. But that's just me also. I'm not amazing at platforming. Um... So I'd probably give this game a good 15 out of 17. Okay. Or 15 on a scale of 3 to 17, I should say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Good game. Good. Gonna pick it up? Uh, or at I've least thinking about it. borrow the physical copy that I have after I've done with it? My, my issue is that I need to find time for all the other games I have. You and your other games. Me and my other games. I have so many other games. All right. Well, anyways, with that, we've been Drink to the Past. Uh, I think that's about wrap here. Yeah, plug. Uh, yeah. So check us out. We're now on iTunes. We're still on Podbean. Uh, looking to expand to other services, but uh, having some issues with... Chris just tooted, and I'm pretty sure it was quiet enough that the audience wouldn't have heard it. If I hadn't said anything, hadn't said they would have had no idea. They would have no idea that I farted. Yeah, but uh, you farted. I did. Motherfucker. In the middle of my plug. <laughs> should, have saved, should have saved it until after the plug. Right, yeah. <laughs> just like as soon as I'm done talking, just... <laughs> uh... <laughs> cool. So, anyways, yeah, we're uh, looking to expand. Um, eventually, I'll probably get to that. I got to iTunes, so I might get to your favorite. But I've... I'm, again, finding hiccups in all of the other things that, like, sometimes they're, like, they have specific requirements for episode length and file size and all this. And I'm like, ah. It's bad. Lame. Yeah. 
It is kind of. It makes it a little bit difficult. But again, we have a weird podcast too because we don't have a set runtime and we don't like strictly follow the topic schedule or the topics. Can you or, imagine or, editing this podcast and being like, "Here's the timestamps for when they talk about this," and then like. Sean's random digression on this thing in the last 15 minutes, and Chris's digression on this other thing in the last, like, 10 minutes. Right, yeah. Like, that's one of the reasons I don't edit the podcast at yeah. all. It's just, like, I feel like I like listening to a podcast that it feels like it's a real natural conversation. And you can do that with editing, but I feel like it's a lot of work, and most of the time it doesn't feel as much like a real conversation as a real conversation. And I think the deviations in our conversations really just kind of set us apart and are like one of our gimmicks. Yeah. So, yeah. We can bullshit with the best of them. Yes, we can. I'll drink to that. Mm. Here, let me see if you can drink to that. Is there another drop? Two, three, four, five. Yep. Five drops. All right. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, your host as always, and you can find me on Twitter at spamomanospam. I'm also on twoguysplayingzelda.com writing articles. I have a soon upcoming article on what could come of a Skyward Sword remake. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Hi, I am Chris Audette. Audet. There, there was Chris an, Audet. Audet. Yeah, Chris Audet. Audet. The middle Audet is in quotation marks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can find some of my writings on Drive Through RPG under the publisher name Five Cataclysms. I wrote House of Flowers, and I co-wrote Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition. House of Flowers is an adventure for fit for the Five Cataclysms rule system, or you know, really any old school D and D ish system. Uh, and Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition is our set of rules. You can pick both of those up for pay what you want. Uh, you should also pick up some of my co-authors' adventures on there, because they're all pretty damn good. Uh, but you gotta pay money for them. Yep. But, like, like you should, like, you should pay money for them. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't, I'm not even sure you can pirate them. Because I know there are more people who want to pirate them than, you know, like, pay money for them. But I'm not sure if people have bought, like, some of them and uploaded them to pirate sites. So you probably actually have to buy them because no one's, like, uploading them anywhere. You're just giving pirates ideas that they're going to be like, hey, give me five bucks so I can buy this module and upload it to Pyroid Bay. I mean, if you're like, I want this thing and it costs five bucks and then no one has bought it. You can't... Someone's got to bite the bullet to pirate it. Right. They Someone's got to pay the $5 and upload it to the website. Yeah. And with that, I think we'll end on our final segment, which is just random BS talking until we find something hilarious to cut off on. Just fucking around. So, yeah. Uh, you can continue to drink along with us, or you can just turn off the podcast now. Like, honestly, if you've made it this far, like... You might as well stick it out, right? Yeah. Like, you, I bet most of our listeners probably don't get this far. Do they? I, 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 don't, know. I don't know. I'm not most of our listeners. You're not? I mean... You're only 129th? I'm only 129th or so. Yeah. 
because we have 29 subscribers. So get us to 50 subscribers and I'll do a giveaway, maybe. Yeah. But not to Chips and Sticks again. No. Chips, I'm sorry. You are eliminated from the potential winning of the... Chip, which, Chip which, which by the way, I need to give Chips his money. Fine. You, you should give him his thing. <laughs> yeah. He, he won the contest. Contest. He did. Next time I'm going to do something that's easier to give overseas, like a gift card or something, where I can just be like, here, I'm texting you a picture of the code or whatever, or, yeah. or Twitter message or, or however. Just throw the money at him. Yeah. Just say, what's your address? And then send, send him a $20 bill. Right. Which, admittedly, I don't think he wanted to give me his address because that's a little weird and sketchy. So I, that's legit. So that's pr that's kind of my issue. Because if he gave me his address, I would have just literally put a $10 bill in a envelope and sent it. Even though I think that's technically against the law. That's what I would have done. Why would it be against the law to send money through the mail? I don't know. I, I gotta look. I should look this up now. Because I, I, I feel like that's a thing. Because I looked at it at some point and you aren't supposed to send cash through the mail. And like... It's okay to send checks, but not cash for some reason. That's weird. It's also illegal to mail alcohol. I mean, that makes a little more sense. Many people think that it's illegal to send money by mail, but that's not true. The law only prevents illegal activities such as money laundering or mailing cash to defraud the taxman. You can send any amount of cash through the U.S. Postal Service, but USPS will only insure a currency up to $50,000. Are you going to... Are you going to send him $50,000? If I was just rich as fuck, I would send Chips $50,000. But I am not rich as fuck, so I'm going to send Chips the 10 agreed-upon dollars. Yeah. So sorry, or Chips. Or if he wants to drive to the Denver area to pick it up, I will give him one beer. Yeah. But uh, that's less likely, because he lives in not the Denver area. Go check out Chips and Sticks on YouTube. He's, he's, he's a pretty cool guy. Okay. I'm going to drink this beer now. All right. Jeez. If you slurp it like that, you get a real, like, hit of the smokiness right in the back of your fucking throat. I thought you were going to say you get a real boner. That, too. I have my pinky up, so it means I'm a fancy person. Uh, I don't know. You don't? I am... I am... How drunk are you? Not drunk at all. I'm no. actually just very tired. Oh, yeah. I'm not... I'm, like, at a point where I'm, like, I've had half of this 11.6% stout and, well, actually slightly more because you didn't have your other half of the half. I poured in a little more here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we probably... Anyways. We probably split it. Here, but it's, it's a big can, too. This is a 16-ounce can, probably. Some, anyways, and, and then plus my blue whatever, which um, I measured the whiskey in a glass that I'm pretty sure is a little more than a shot, and I was, like, close enough. Not yeah. whiskey. It was rum. Rum. Yeah. Very different drinks. Yes, totally. I mean, they're so, both spirits. Yeah, so, like, now I'm, like, I'm probably slightly buzzed, but it feels like I'm more drunk than I am, but I think that's just because I'm tired as fuck, too. Yeah. So. Why are we even so tired? I don't know. I mean, I have to get up for work in the morning, so... Uh, what's your excuse? Like, tomorrow? I mean, no, earlier today. 
Oh, well, I had to I do didn't that. get up as early as I usually do because I had a weird non-student day, so I just, like, went in at 8 a.m. and sat around and played Blasphemous for three hours. See? So we probably woke up close to the same time. Then. Mm-hmm. Right about 7. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice to sleep in, though. That was yeah. Good. Like, yeah, we both have morning schedules. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, because usually I'm even earlier than that, though. Because usually I have to be at work at 6. So you got to get up at, like, 5. Yeah. So usually by the time we get to this podcast, I'm already, like, tired as fuck. How do you even have time to take a shit in the morning and uh, be at work? I don't take a shit in the morning. Oh. I take my shit in the middle of the day. I usually take my shit in the morning. Sometimes I take my shit in the morning, and then I'm usually slightly late on my route. Because it's like... Either it happens and it has to happen before I go out to my bus and I'm at work and I take a shit at work, or I can, I'm good until at least I get in from my morning shift at about 9 a.m. You don't like sit there and drink coffee and then be like, okay, I need to poop now. No, because I pretty much wake up and go to work and drink my coffee while I'm driving the bus. And so I have to poop afterward. I'm, I know I'm tired because I misheard that as you were, like, taking a shit while you were driving the bus. I don't think I usually have to take a shit while driving the bus. You just have one of those toilet bus driver seats. That would be wonderful, you know, in some cases. And, and a coffee maker. Why don't, why don't they put coffee makers in school buses? Because it can scald the children. The children don't need to touch the coffee. I mean, like, you like, break the bus suddenly. We can just add, do not touch the coffee machine to the waiver that they sign at the start of the year, and then it's on the fucking kids, right? I'm just imagining that you break real hard and the coffee pot goes flying out and spills and just splashes over one of the kids running down the hallway. Well, he shouldn't have been running down the hallway, you stupid turd. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on this, but the law might see it differently. Stupid law. Laws need to give bus drivers more coffee. Yeah. And higher wages, and free donuts, and back rubs, and higher wages. I was on board for some of that. (laughs) Higher wages and free donuts? And coffee? Yeah. All all that stuff. Yeah. I wasn't too sure about the back rubs. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, they never are. 